beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ. How do you cope with trials and struggles in life? What do you do when faced with illness, pain, sorrow, or suffering? How do you deal with fear, anxiety, depression, or other mental health struggles? These things can be burdensome. They grind away at us. At times, they also cause us to question God. If God is in control, and if he's a good and a loving God, why does he allow us to undergo trials and sorrows? Trials of life can be a real challenge to our faith. James begins his letter by addressing the trials his readers are undergoing. For some of James's original readers, these trials included the hardships that came from being persecuted. Some early Christians were of Jewish descent. They were ostracized by Jewish family members and friends for converting to the Christian faith. Others were of a Gentile background. They were barely tolerated by society around them because they're not willing to conform to its religion or lifestyle. As becomes evident later in James's letter, many of these early Christians were truly poor. Yet James is careful to generalize his message for all who face trials in life. He speaks of trials of various kinds. Life in this fallen and broken world is not easy at the best of times. We grieve over our losses, whether that be a job or a friendship or a loved one. We struggle with broken relationships. We face disappointments over people who have cheated us, friends who have deserted us, brothers and sisters who have not helped us in our time of need. We struggle with sickness and accidents and the limitations that they bring. We have a hard time overcoming the trauma caused by people who are supposed to love and care for us. James addresses us on how to deal with the trials of life. He teaches that trials are not random events that just happen to us. They come to us from God. That can be really hard for us to accept. Why would a loving God allow such and such to happen to me? Yet James stresses that God is good. That God loves to give good gifts to his children. God has a purpose in allowing us to undergo trials and hardships. James wants us to consider what that purpose may be. He teaches us how to handle the trials of life through prayer, that may endure them and receive God's blessings. I preach to you God's word under the following theme. Persevere with joy through the midst of God-given trials. James teaches us to consider the purpose of trials, to pray for wisdom in handling trials, and to persevere through the midst of trials. In his letter, James is often very direct in his teaching. After passing on greetings, he immediately addresses what's going on in the lives of his readers. He commands, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. In addressing this issue, James, as a leader in the church, is being very pastoral. 
He knows that in recent years his readers have faced intense struggles. For many of them, there was no end in sight. They were faced with really tough times. They weren't always sure about how to move forward in life. And so James immediately deals with one of the biggest issues facing them in their lives. This does not mean that in James, the first verses are an appropriate passage to read to someone when they're first confronted with a deep trial in their lives. Imagine someone has just lost their job, or been forced to declare bankruptcy, or been diagnosed with a serious illness, and you come along and you tell them to count it pure joy that they're facing this trial, for God intends to strengthen their character through it. They'd likely want to strangle you, or take your Bible and thump you with it. You would be like one of Job's friends, a poor comforter. You see, beloved, when we undergo trials in life, we need time to process them. Very often, when first faced with bad news, we go into denial, and we try to avoid people. Many go through a stage when they're angry, when they blame other people or even God for the hardships facing them. At times, people will try bargain with God, promising certain things if God relieves them from their struggles and burdens. Many who face adversity and loss will undergo depression. It's only as we work through our emotions that we gradually start to come to terms with the difficult trials of life. In our text, James provides a blueprint for how to do that. He tells us to count it all joy when we meet trials of various kinds. Some Bibles translate, consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds. When James tells us to count or to consider, he's suggesting a certain mindset a perspective, a view of the world that helps us to see joys and struggles of life properly. So what is this mindset, this perspective on how to cope with trials that James teaches us? The first thing we need to recognize is that this world is a place of constant testing. Life is full of ups and downs. We're living in a sinful and broken world. We will face hardships and struggles. Each stage of life has its own difficulties. We tend to look ahead to the good things that await us in the next stage of life. And then we're often surprised when in that stage we are faced with ongoing difficulties. High school students often look toward being the seniors being the graduating class. Then they'll be kings of the school. They'll get to do all the fun stuff. But when these students face, but when these students become seniors, they still are faced with normal life. Some of their classes are still long and boring. They still have to do homework. Their parents still require chores and curfews. Added to that, they have to figure out what they're doing next year. They need to apply to college or university or find a job. So they think that when grad comes, then all my trials will be over. 
Consider what happens when a young man meets a young woman. They date and have fun and get along well together. In time, they get tired of needing to say goodnight and go their separate ways. They gaze into each other's eyes full of love for one another. They just can't wait to get married. All their trials will be over then. The honeymoon comes and goes. They rent a small apartment. Life settles into a normal routine. She's bothered by the fact that her husband is a slob and leaves his clothes lying all over the place. And he's frustrated by how much money she spends and the fact that she expects him to demonstrate his love by taking her out on dates and buying her flowers. And Betty finds it hard to get a good night's sleep because she hogs all the blankets. They work through some of their issues and life carries on. For some reason, although they're trying, they're not receiving a child. They think that if only God would bless them with a child, life would be good. In time, God grants them the desire of their hearts. They're expecting a baby. But pregnancy is tough. She's puking every morning. He comes home from work and regularly finds her bagged out on the couch. She's just so tired. She's got no energy. That all passes too, and the time comes for them to have a baby. A wonderful moment when their child is born. So amazing. They're on top of the world. Now life is complete. It's just great. Parents think our marriage is good, our child is at home. At last, all our trials are over. But suddenly, just an hour after drifting off to sleep, they're woken by a cry. Baby's awake. Mom gets up to feed and change her. Eventually, the baby's back in bed, and Mom's finally ready to settle in for some more sleep, too. But wait, the baby's crying again. She's just been fed. Her diaper is dry. She's crying for no good reason. And so the trials of parenthood begin. Parents are constantly looking forward to the next stage when life will be easier, when the baby sleeps through the night, when the kids are old enough to go to school and mom can have some peace and quiet during the day, when the kids become more independent, when they get their license, when they move out. Life goes on with all its ups and downs, with its trials and its sorrows. It's the same at work. We're looking for our next promotion or wondering if we should apply for a job with a different company. If the economy is thriving and our company is growing, we stress because there's too much to do and it's hard to find good people. If the economy is slow, we're anxious about keeping employees working and having enough to pay the bills. Trials never end. Life continues to confront us with stress and anxiety. And beloved, we have not even considered some of the more difficult trials of life. Hearing the news that a loved one's been involved in a serious accident, being abused or assaulted, trying to come to terms with the trauma that you've experienced, being confronted with struggles in your marriage, perhaps even the betrayal of your spouse, being diagnosed with a serious illness or 
walking alongside a close family member struggling with pain or the lamentations it brings, having to face serious issues with anxiety or depression or other mental health struggles, seeing loved ones stray from God's ways. How are we to cope with all the trials of life? James teaches us to count it all joy when we meet trials of various kinds. To be clear, he's not telling us to enjoy misery. Nobody has to say, I'm so happy I've been diagnosed with cancer, or how wonderful I went bankrupt yesterday. To consider something pure joy does not mean that we enjoy it. James's point becomes clear in the following verses. There he speaks about how the testing of our faith produces steadfastness, that it leads us to become mature and complete. James is teaching us a mindset for how to deal with the trials of life. Ultimately, they come from God. God has a purpose in allowing us to undergo various trials in our lives. His goal, says James, is to cause us to grow. James speaks about how the testing of our faith produces steadfastness. Please note carefully, the trials of life themselves don't produce steadfastness or lead to maturity. The trials of life by themselves can be relentless. They can break even the strongest among us. James teaches us that the trials of life are a testing of our faith. We need to see them that way for them to produce anything good in our lives. We need to learn that through the trials of life, God is at work in us. God's busy with us, forming, shaping, molding us. Sometimes right in the midst of a trial, we can't see that clearly. Yet afterwards, when we reflect on God's work in our life, we observe to use a certain trial or hardship to build us up in our faith. It caused us to pray more. It forced us back to the Bible, caused us to read it with a new perspective. I learned to hang on to God's gracious promises in ways I never needed to before. So, beloved, let me ask you, how have you dealt with the various trials that God has used to test your faith? Do you understand that ultimately it is God who allows various trials into our lives? Can you see that God doesn't hate you, that he isn't punishing you? Can you see his hand at work in you, teaching you to persevere through hard times? How God is leading you to greater maturity? And now for the hardest question of all. Are you able to consider it pure joy when you're faced with new trials in your life? Do you rejoice in God's loving care in leading your life to bring you closer to him? It's so hard as human beings to cope with the trials of life. But it helps to understand 
God is at work in us, making us mature and complete. Brings us to our second point, and it will see how James teaches us to pray for wisdom in handling trials. At the end of verse 4 of our text, James expresses God's purpose for allowing trials in our lives. It is that we may be mature and complete, lacking in nothing. Yet for God to build us up in the faith, we need to recognize that he uses trials to do that. And for us to have that mindset, we need wisdom. Many people, even Christians, bemoan the trials of life. Trials frustrate us. They breed discontent. They make us envious of others who just seem to coast through life. Suffering can create fear or despair or a determination to look out for number one. At times they create anger toward God. We often don't handle the trials of life well at all. We struggle to understand how God could allow such suffering, so much hardship in my life. If that's where you're at, beloved, if you're really struggling to put your trials into perspective, then James says, pray. He says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. Please note, beloved, how James teaches us to think about God. God is not cruel. God is not cheap. God is not vindictive. God doesn't delight in slapping us around or jerking our chain. So what's God really like? God is good. In James 1, 16 and 17, James writes, Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. In our text, James says that God gives generously to all without reproach. People can be, dif can be different. If you're struggling financially, someone may help you kindly. When you come for help the third or fourth time, they may still help, but it may, hard, it may be hard for them to do so without finding fault. They may give you more money, but add, what happened to all the money I gave you last month? If you need help with a certain task, someone may indicate a willingness to help, but add the comment that you should have started earlier. It's so easy for us as human beings to be negative and critical, even when we're helping out. But, beloved, God's not like that. God delights in giving good gifts. God's gifts don't become debts. He doesn't expect a payback. Psalm 103 tells us much about God's character. It tells us the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. 
he remembers that we are dust. So, beloved, if we're struggling to make sense of life, God wants us to pray to him. He wants us to pour out our hearts before his throne of grace. He wants us to tell him about our struggles, about our sorrows, about our hardships. And when we pray, we have Jesus Christ seated at the Father's right hand, interceding for us. Jesus lived on this earth. He was a man of sorrows. Jesus faced great trials in his life. He was rejected by the people he came to save. He was betrayed by one of his own disciples, denied by another, forsaken by them all. Jesus suffered beatings and ridicule while on trial. He was stripped naked and hung on a cross, suffering the agony and the shame of such a horrible death. He was forsaken by his Father. He had to bear God's wrath against our sins. The point I'm making, beloved, is that Jesus understands what it means to undergo trials in life. He can sympathize with the struggles and sorrows that we undergo. Jesus gets it. When we pray, he prays with us and for us. He lays our sorrows and our struggles, our needs and concerns before God. With the assurance our prayers are heard and God will help us. God may not take away the source of our struggle. He may allow our hardship to continue. But he will help us bear it. He will use it to build us up in our faith in him. He will help us persevere in our faith so we grow in spiritual maturity. Yet for this to happen, we need to ask in faith, wholeheartedly seeking God, fully expecting him to provide for us. James says that anyone who asks must believe and not doubt. For one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that's driven and tossed by the wind. In our text, James, James contrasts faith and doubt. He equates doubt with unbelief. If you don't believe in God, or if you don't believe God is a good God, if you don't believe God is able to give whatever you ask from him, why pray? Part of a God-pleasing prayer is that we must rest on the firm foundation that even though we don't deserve it, God will certainly hear our prayer for the sake of Christ our Lord, as he has promised us in his word. So, beloved, if you are struggling with the trials of life, pray to God for help. Specifically, pray for wisdom. Often we're inclined to ask God to relieve us of the source of our struggles. And that's allowed. When we're sick, we may pray for healing. When we're facing struggles in a relationship, we can pray for God to help us deal with them. When we're bowed down because loved ones are straying from the Lord's service, it pleases God for us to pray for their repentance. Yet, beloved, God may or may not answer those prayers in the way or at the time that you desire. And so we need to pray for wisdom that we may understand 
God may be using the trials of life for other purposes. That he may be using them to develop our Christian character or to bring us to greater maturity in our faith. Brings us to our final point, and it will see how James teaches us to persevere through the midst of trials. In the final verses of our text, James addresses some words to the rich and to the poor. He writes, let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation. With these words, James presents us with a riddle. To understand what James is saying, we need to know something about the circumstances of many in the early church. In the early church, most of the members were relatively poor. At that time, many church members were slaves. They had no possessions of their own. They had a low social status, no independent means. They were in the servitude of earthly masters. It is hard to be poor. It's even more difficult if, humanly speaking, there's no way out of your circumstances. It is tough to be subservient, to be dependent on the goodness of others. One of the most difficult things would have been for these poor church members to accept their position in life. And James encourages the brother in humble circumstances to take pride in his high position. Notice the reference to the fact that he is a brother. Not a blood brother, but a brother in Christ. While in the eyes of the world he was a poor servant, in the church he had a different position. Whether you're a slave or free, rich or poor, male or female, in the church we're all brothers and sisters in the Lord. As such, we're all equal. We all share in the grace of the Lord and in the salvation he grants. A brother in humble circumstances could rejoice and be glad in that. James also addresses the rich. He encourages them not to boast or to take pride in their riches. Riches give a certain social status. They give an ability to do things that poor people cannot afford. It easily leads to pride, to boasting, to abuse of power. In his letter, James admonishes the rich for dragging the poor into court, for not tending to their needs, for bragging about their business trips, for hoarding money and holding back the wages of their laborers. In our text, James encourages the rich to take pride in their low position. He tells them to see themselves as no better than their slaves or the laborers they employed. Instead of taking pride in their social position or worldly status, the rich needed to see the time would come when they too would fade away. Economic circumstances, old age or death would take them away from the business that made them prominent. The rich needed to know that they were no greater than any other people. They too were sinful people saved by grace alone. They needed to learn to boast in Christ, not in their social status. So why does James address this matter of the rich and the poor in our text? Because there's a connection to the trials of life that we're confronted with. 
Being poor brings with it many hardships and trials. Those who struggle to make ends meet are often envious of others who appear to be well off. We think if only we had a better paying job or more money, then all would be well with us. But James shows that's not the case. Riches come with their own trials. You need to be a good steward of what God has given you. You have a responsibility to use your money for the benefit of others. It's so easy to become proud or to live independently of God. Better circumstances just bring a different kind of trial. Thus, James concludes with a call to persevere in the faith. He writes, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. With these words, James is promising a glorious future. Those who hold fast their faith to the end. He's promising life with God eternally. He's promising joy and glory on new heavens and a new earth to all who hold fast their faith in Jesus Christ. Beloved, we will all face many and varied trials as we go through life. Life on this side of glory is filled with hardships, struggles, sickness, pain, sorrow, and distress. The question is, how do you deal with these things? Do you accept that trials ultimately come from God? That His purpose is to build us up in the faith through them? Can we see how God uses trials in our lives to strengthen our character to bring us to greater maturity? If so, you will learn to count it all joy, even when God brings trials and hardships into your life. You'll understand that somehow God is working for your good, even in the midst of the trials that you need to endure. Amen.